Welcome to Greensburg Baptist Church. We welcome our church family and also our visiting friends. Thank you for coming to worship with us. To find out more about Greensburg Baptist Church, our upcoming events, and other church activities, visit our website anytime at greensburgbaptist.com. In the second verse of Hark the Herald Angels Sing, you hear these words, Christ by highest heaven adored, Christ the everlasting Lord. Late in time, behold him come, offspring of a virgin's womb. Veiled in flesh, the Godhead see, hail the incarnate deity. Pleased as man with man to dwell, Jesus our Emmanuel. Hark the herald angels sing, glory to the newborn king. There's this sense in which as we hear and read the words and sing them to God and to one another, that we are indeed proclaiming the fact that Jesus Christ, fully God, has now come as a man to dwell upon the earth. And there's this great affirmation that the fact that he was pleased to do this, it pleased God to send forth his son, it pleased Christ to leave heaven and come. And But today I, I want to draw your attention to this statement here where it says, Our Emmanuel, Emmanuel indicating God with us. Uh, the father of the Methodist movement, John Wesley, as he was laying on his deathbed, he said, there are no sweeter words than this. God is with us. God is with us. Today, I want to draw your attention and begin to think about what is significant about the fact that God is with us. And uh, you live in a culture, in a world in which they've been trying to figure out how do we understand who is God? Right? There are those that are the pantheists, right? And, and so you kind of see, I'm trying to break it down so you can see the wording, but pan being all and theism indicating God. So again, you kind of see how the word is they're just kind of compound word. But again, it's indicating that the universe and all things within nature are God. And so they believe that everyone and everything is God. And so that they indicate that people are avatars or expressions of the God force. And so, again, there are folks that believe that everything you see is God and God is everything. Then there are those that are the Greeks and the Romans, right? And so are like them. And, and the Greeks and the Romans believed in what's called polytheism, right? And so poly being many and so many gods. And you see this in Acts chapter 14, verses 11 to 13. Paul and Barnabas have come into the city and it says the gods have come down to be among us. And they believe that Paul is Hermes and, and that Barnabas is the god Zeus. And so there are those who worship many gods. But for the Jewish audience... And that's to whom Matthew's primary writing to, right? He's writing to Jewish people to try to persuade them that Jesus is actually the Messiah, the Savior. But then he says something even further that would have been so difficult for them. He calls him Emmanuel. He says that he's God with us. And what you have to understand about the Jewish people is they're not pantheists, nor are they polytheists. They are, in fact, monotheists, right? And, and you, you've probably heard it, but for the Jewish people, right, the, the most treasured saying is from Deuteronomy. It's called the Shema. And it says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is what? Do you know? He is one, right? And it's a saying they would constantly repeat in the words there of Deuteronomy. And so they are monotheists, mono being, again, one. And so they believe that there is one God. And that's the rub, right? It's the fact that now... Matthew is going to proclaim that this Jesus is actually God. You, you have to understand that for the Jewish people, different messiahs and saviors had risen on the scene throughout history. And sometimes people thought, well, maybe this is actually the one. But even though that wasn't the case, right, they never believed, even if they thought they might be a messiah-type figure, no one ever believed that that was actually God in the flesh. Until now. And Matthew writes and says, not only is this one the messiah, the savior, 
He's actually God. And it's this hard moment, right? Because if we're honest, most world religions that I'm aware of, they, they call us to believe certain truths. And typically you've got to act in a certain way, possibly meet up to a certain moral standard, and boom, you, you've achieved salvation or an afterlife or a better incarnation or whatever it may be. And yet what we hear today in the text in verse 21 of Matthew 1 is that this one, Jesus has come to save his people from their what? That their sin, that there's an issue, right? And so today you may believe that maybe you're good enough to earn your way into the afterlife. And I might just, just in a polite way today, I'll try to push back on that to say, listen, maybe you, you don't think that your sin is as bad as it really is. And maybe you believe that your good deeds are better than they really are. And today, listen, our greatest need, your greatest need, my greatest need is to be with God forever. But our sin separates us from him. And so today, listen, I want to share with you this big idea. Maybe you just share this statement internally. God came to me in Jesus to bring me to God. God came to me in Jesus to bring me to God. Today, we're going to share, go after this, this idea of God with us, what he's going to share there in verse 23. And I want to share with you and, and hopefully show you that Jesus is actually God. And then to indicate what's it mean that God is actually with us and how does that now look for us? Because Jesus obviously isn't walking the face of the earth as he did in that time. And so how do we understand and interpret that? And so that's a little bit of a roadmap of where we're headed today as we try to understand God with us. And remember this idea, God came to me in Jesus to bring me to God. Listen to you would begin in Matthew chapter 1, verse 18. Matthew has just finished the first 17 verses of the genealogy of Jesus and, and proving how he's, he's a descendant of Abraham, how he's a descendant of David. And, and so he's proving his lineage that he actually merits up to what the Jewish people were expecting. And now he begins in verse 18 by saying this. Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband, Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord has spoken by the prophet, the prophet Isaiah, this. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name, what? Emmanuel, which means what? God with us. When Joseph woke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but knew her not until she had given birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. So again, I, I want to circle our wagons, grab a seat around the campfire, right? I want us to spend a few moments today wrestling with this idea of what does it mean that Jesus is indeed Emmanuel, right? Because look, again, he says, you're going to bear a son. Verse 21, you will bear a son and you will call his name what? What's his name going to be? Jesus, okay? And so behold, all right, he says, this is fulfillment of the prophecy of Isaiah 7 and 14. And the virgin shall conceive and bear a son. And that son is going to be now named Emmanuel, which means God with us. So what he's laying out for us is this is that Jesus is actually this son who is Emmanuel, which means that Jesus must be who? God. It's hard, right? I mean, 
Jewish scholars, as they look and they would say, listen, this is what you've got to wrestle with always, right? This is the Jewish people even today as they reject Jesus as Messiah. They're struggling, right, with the fact that he is actually God. If you remember back on his trial, right? I mean, remember Jesus is quiet, right? The fulfillment of Isaiah 53 is the lamb before shears is silent, so he doesn't open his mouth. Jesus, they're bringing accusations and lies and they're trying to catch him in traps. And finally, the high priest says, I adjure you in the name of the living God. Literally, I charge you under oath. Tell us, are you the Christ? And he says, I tell you the truth, you will see the Son of Man come in on the clouds of heaven and seat at the right hand of the Father. And the high priest did what to his cloak? Bam, he tears it. Wow, he says, this is blasphemous. A man claiming to be God. And this is what Emmanuel means, God with us. And Matthew comes right out of the gates, guns blazing, saying that Jesus is in fact God. And he says, listen, I want you to know, guys, listen, right here again, this took place. This is fulfilling what the Lord has spoken through the prophet. The prophet is, again, Isaiah, Isaiah 7 and 14. We spent a lot of time walking through all 66 chapters of Isaiah. This is from Isaiah 7 and 14. We knew, right? We talked about it even when we studied it many months ago. We said, listen, Isaiah 7 and 14, the virgin is going to be with child, and, and the, the child will be called Emmanuel, which means God with us. And we said, listen, there's, there's some type of fulfillment in that day and time, right? There was a fulfillment of a child being born that had a huge impact, right? We see it in Hezekiah, as some of you have been studying through that in your Sunday school, right? There's some question about exactly what that child was. But now Matthew says, listen, nonetheless, the ultimate fulfillment of Isaiah 7 and 14 is actually who? It's Jesus. He's the fulfillment of this prophecy saying that he's actually God. And maybe today you're asking, well, who is God? Well, the Westminster Shorter Catechism of 1648, right? This is how they define God. And they said, God is a spirit, infinite, eternal and unchangeable in his being, wisdom, power, holiness, justice, goodness, and truth. And now Jesus is showing up saying that Matthew says this one that is born is actually God. This is who it is in the flesh. Now listen, today maybe I could try to prove to you that Jesus was God by many things and, and, and try to show you different ways of how does Jesus validate that he's actually God. But I want to set just one before you today. And it's this, Jesus proved that he's God through his miracles. Right. I mean, if you walk through the book of Matthew and other gospels, I mean, you, you see Jesus walking on what water he's casting out demons. Right. I mean, if you saw Jesus, you would see we read it with the boys this week. He takes that little Hebrew happy meal and fed how many people? 5,000 people from a Hebrew Happy Meal, right? I mean, if you walk with Jesus, you're going to see him healing the sick. If you walk with Jesus, you're going to see in John 11 that a man by the name of Lazarus has been dead how many days? Four days. And Jesus says, Lazarus, what? Come forth. And Lazarus does what? He comes forth. These are some miracles. In fact, Jesus says to his disciples, if you don't believe in me, please believe on the miracles themselves, for they testify about me. They testify that I'm God. But today's text, listen, it presents to us another miracle about who Jesus is. And it's this, the virgin birth. Look at me, Wood, beginning back in verse 18 of Matthew 1. Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, that's, that's, that's crucial, right? Before they experienced intimacy, right? So this coming together, depending on your translations, right? May render it under the Christian standard. Others talk about sexual relations. But again, that's what he's talking about. Before they come together, before they're intimate, she is found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. Look further, verse 20. Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife. Why should he not fear to do this? For, look what he says, that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. So again, the Holy Spirit, right? The conception is happening from the Spirit's work, right? So again, same thing. The child is from the Holy Spirit. 
So why does this need to happen? Well, to understand that, we have to realize a little bit of what the Bible's been trying to show us from back even in Genesis, the first book. God creates the first people, and they're, what's their two names? Do you remember? Adam and Eve right there in the Garden of Eden. Right, And so Adam and Eve are different than us in the fact that Adam and Eve were created by God and they don't have a sin nature. Right, Sin doesn't enter the picture until there in Genesis chapter 3 where they disobey God and they take and eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. He says, for when you eat of it, you'll surely die. And so when they eat of this, right, the sin nature now begins to penetrate them. And guess what? The sin nature now passes on to every other person that's born. You inherited it from your parents, right? You were born with a sin nature. You're a sinner by nature. You're a sinner by choice, right? It infects every area of you. Guess what the Bible says? Something now has happened, though, in the coming of Jesus. Paul says in Romans chapter 5 there in the New Testament that Jesus is similar to Adam. In fact, he calls him a second Adam. And what he's saying is, is that guess what? Just like Adam started out without a sin nature, now Jesus comes without a sin nature. How does he do that? Why? Because everybody after Adam and Eve, right? Every parents, right? They procreated. Everyone was born the sin nature, right? No matter how cute you think your grandchild is today, I promise you, they have a sin nature. Okay? Listen. So listen. How do we break that? How does Jesus now come fully God, fully man, without a sin nature? The Bible says that he has to be conceived by who? The Holy Spirit. It's a work of the Spirit, right? You see that. So this is explaining to us, right, how Jesus becomes a second man, right? And so he's conceived by the Holy Spirit because he's God, and therefore he enters the world like Adam, without a sin nature. That's good news. Why? Because now when he goes to the cross, if he can live a sinless life, we've got to walk with him, we've got to see. But if he can, then he can do for us what the first Adam could never do for you. The first Adam is leading you to death. The first, second Adam is leading you to life by his death. It's beautiful. It's the fulfillment of everything we've been longing for back to Genesis chapter 3 and verse 15. And so it's a beautiful moment. So we realize that, listen, Mary and Joseph can't come together like husbands and wives normally do. That cannot happen with him to be born without a sin nature. Maybe you're struggling with it. Guess what? In Luke chapter 1, Mary struggles with it. In Matthew chapter 1, Joseph struggles with it. Look what again, back here in verse 18 and 19. Again, so we see that it says, again, before they came together, right? She's found to be with child from the Holy Spirit, right? And so we had this moment in which it says, hey, listen, that, that's what happens. And Joseph, look at it, it says, verse 19, and her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to do what? Divorce her quietly, right? I mean, he's a just man. He's a good man. He's a kind man. He doesn't want to shame Mary, but he's going to divorce her, right? And it says, and again, as he's considering these things, that's when the Holy Spirit shows up and transforms so you've got to understand a little bit about what's happening, right? You see this key word back here in verse 18. She is betrothed to Joseph. All right, so here's what would happen. A young man, a young woman would become betrothed, okay? It was about a year-long process in which the parents of the groom would go looking for a bride for their son. And they would listen, and this happens, right? It happens, in fact, in Africa there now, right? If, if you have a daughter, right, they come and they give... Um, sometimes exorbitant, exorbitant gifts, right, to say, hey, listen, I want my son or my son desires to marry your daughter. And so they give these great bride prices. I mean, sometimes extravagant, as they were sharing with me there in Africa. I was like, whoa. All right. But during that time, okay, so they would become what's called, if the parents agreed, they would say yes, and they would pay the, the, the price. And so for a period of about a year, they would become what's called betrothed. They are legally married, except for one thing. They don't live together and they're not intimate. Why? Because during that year, there's a proof that that young lady is actually pure and she's not already pregnant by someone else. 
And so Mary and Joseph are during that time period. Listen, so they're legally married, okay, but they're waiting that year. And so to end that, right, to break that because it's a legal binding thing, he has to divorce her, right? Now, here's what it is, right? This is challenging, right? To get out, you had to have official divorce. And it's during this time, this, this year-long or so waiting, that Mary shows up roughly about three, four months pregnant, and she tells J- Joseph this great story. I'm pregnant, not by some other dude, but by who? By the Holy Spirit, right? And he's like, yeah, where's your pet unicorn, right? I mean, you're with him, right? I mean, come on, like, really? Come on. Any, I mean, any of you believe in that today? Come on. None of us are believing that. Right? I mean, the Mary, I mean, Joseph's in the same way. He's like, come on, I'm not buying that. Right? And so according to Deuteronomy chapter 22, verse 21, listen, Joseph could have her actually stoned to death. So Joseph is trying to be kind. He's being merciful to Mary. And it, listen to this. Look what verse 20 says. Why? Why does this not happen? Look what it says, verse 20. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife. Why? Why? Why, God? Why not? Four, right? You see that? Those are just some key interpretive words that help you understand, make sense of a passage. Four, that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. So according to verse 24 and 25 of our passage, guess what? Joseph believes he takes Mary as his wife, all right? And they live together. They're not intimate. We're going to talk about that again a little bit more in a minute. Listen, this isn't easy to believe. I get it. Right? I mean, listen, I mean, you might look, if you believe this is actually true about God becoming flesh and this crazy story about Mary and Joseph and angels and, and not even being intimate and having a child, I mean, like, I mean, likely it's your, your family, your friends, the community, the nations are going to think you're a little bit cray cray, right? I mean, like, like really? Like you believe that? But imagine Joseph for a moment. Think about him. Joseph is a carpenter. We learn later in the, in the, in the New Testament. And, can you imagine that Joseph now holds to this story that Jesus is actually born of the Holy Spirit? And so for the remainder of his days, can you imagine that people talk about him like kind of like the shady carpenter? Like, dude, that dude's crazy. You're going to take your stuff to him. You're going to buy something from that guy. You can't trust him. He thinks that like Mary got pregnant by the Holy Spirit. I mean, can you imagine like how this transforms for him? Or, or I mean, just ruin his reputation. Can you think about Mary? I mean, the rest of her days, she walks to town and people whisper. Think about Mary, I mean, just for a moment. I mean, the great marriage or the great wedding day, maybe that she had always envisioned how awesome it was going to be, it's basically ruined. Why? Because she appears scandalous. Because to everyone on the outside, what they think is, is that Mary and Joseph actually were intimate. Or there's some shady dude that Joseph's trying to cover up. This, listen, I want you to know that why. Because believing this will prove costly. But not believing this will prove even more costly. Believing this, listen, it will prove costly to you in your life, just like it does to Joseph and Mary. But not believing this, it proves even more costly. So listen, Jesus, according to this text, is in fact God, right? By the fact that we're going to see you as we walk through the book of Matthew, Lord willing, in the months and, and, and weeks to come. But listen, you've got to understand that right here from the outset, this miracle is declaring how Jesus actually became flesh. That he was born of a virgin. It wasn't like you and I were born. He is born without a sin nature. Therefore, he can become like a second Adam. He now can do for us what no one else can. And so that brings us this second statement, right, of here. Is that, in fact, God with us. Look at me, you would. Verse 23 again. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means what? 
God with us. Let's talk about that for a moment, right? We've tried to prove that Jesus is actually God, right? Now let's talk about it for a moment. Well, what's it mean that it's actually God with us? Well, the first thing is it doesn't say it's not God without us. It doesn't mean that God's against us. It says God is what? With us. You can be restored, reconciled to a perfect and holy God at, listen, not because of anything that you can do, but because of what this one is going to do on your behalf. This is a beautiful moment of God being with us. But listen, this idea of God with us, man, this is all throughout the Bible. I mean, you you see it back in Genesis chapter 3, after Adam and Eve, they've hid. You remember they hide in the garden. And what's God do? You remember what Genesis 3, what's God do? He came calling for them. He came walking for with them, right? God comes walking in the garden. Why? Because God desires to be with us. In fact, if you read the Old Testament nine different times, it continually says this statement. And God is with us. I will be with you. I will be with you. I will be with you. Listen, just the first example happens in Genesis chapter 26, verse 3. It says, sojourn in this land and I will what? I'll be with you. Right, I mean, all throughout the Bible, just continually this reminder, God desiring to be with you. And then we come to the last book of the Bible, which is the book of what? Revelation. It's the next to last chapter, chapter 21 of Revelation. Right, and listen to what happens here as the end, like we look forward way down the horizon to the end of time, this new heaven, this new earth is coming about. And listen to what the Bible celebrates in verse 3. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is what? with man he will dwell with them and they will be his people and god himself will be what with them as their god god is continually desiring to be with us a holy god with sinners like us and this happens why because god with us came and lived a sinless life representing us as man and yet As God, he's sinless. Therefore, he can take on our sin and shame on the cross. Matthew Henry, a biblical scholar, says this. By the light of nature, we see God as God above us. By the light of the law, we see him as God against us. But by the light of the gospel, we see him as what? Emmanuel, God with us. So again, we have God above us. We have God against us. But in the coming of Christ, we finally ultimately have God with us. Right? Why is this such good news? Well, look what he said back in verse 21. She will bear a son and you shall call his name Jesus. And here's why he will what? Save his people from what? From their sins. We need God because we need forgiveness. We need restoration. We need the indwelling Holy Spirit. We desire and long to one day have glorified bodies that no longer hurt or get hurt. Right? We long to be in a place where there's no more death or, or brokenness in relationships. There's no more awkwardness maybe of what you experienced with family and others this past week at Thanksgiving, right? There's no more brokenness in which people didn't show up this year for Thanksgiving because they're now gone. This is finally a renewal and it happens because Jesus, God with us, comes and saves us from our sins. This is the great hope of the gospel. And I was reminded, listen, this past week of why this is true and I need it personally. This past week, Emily and I, we had a busy week lined out and we kind of talked a few weeks ago about rest. I don't know how well we did resting this week, um, but we were already planning out our week. And so I told her Monday, I said, listen, I'm going to come home. I'm going to grab something really quick to eat lunch. I need about 40 minutes to jump on the mower. I got to run wide open. I got leaves everywhere, right? There they are. They're falling even here in my sermon. And so listen, and so I go up there, I get ready to crank the mower and guess what? It won't what? It won't start. Yeah. And so I get this little charger I have, go up there, throw it on there for a few minutes thinking it'll do it. And guess what? It still won't what? 
start. And then I drive my car up there around there. It's kind of across a little bit of a bridge, and so I can't get to it. When I go get the jumper cables, they're like this short. And guess what? The mower's really big, and I'm really weak, and I can't push it far enough. And now I've spent 35 minutes, and the mower hasn't even what? Started. And I'll just be honest with you. You guys know you've been here a while. I struggle with my temper. And it was like one of those cartoons, like, head blew off to my neighbors right to my neighbors who are listening monday afternoon that was me that you heard smack the lawnmower seat and yell out to the loudest i could come on that was me listen what i realized in that moment right something greater was happening i was upset with god Upset that my mower hadn't started. Upset that I'd planned the day, that we already had stuff every single other night of the week. There was no way I'd get it up. The rain was coming and on and on. And moment, I'm telling you, I was just like, in that moment, I was simmering. I was like, dude, I don't know what. If I could have picked that mower up, it would have been like, I just couldn't, right? And so, and then literally, I'd been studying through this passage for a week or two and, and lot that morning. And man, God, the Holy Spirit just whispered to me, hey, Blake, you think you need Emmanuel? It's like just a whisper just inside. You think right now you need Emmanuel? And I realized that greater than my need for my mower to start, I need my heart to start being obedient and being transformed by the power of the Holy Spirit. And so listen, I, I don't know about you. Maybe you don't struggle with anger like I do. Maybe for you it's just gossip and you just, man, you just can't help trashing people and you, you've, you've probably already started after Thanksgiving talking about this person or that person or maybe it's just greed and, and, and I struggle sometimes with greed and, right, like I, I'll just be honest, man, I love like getting good deals and Black Friday. Some of you folks are like that, right? And you love looking. But I have to keep honest, asking myself, if the deal was so good and the gift was so good last year, why do I have to keep getting new ones this year? Right? Like it never ends, right? And, and at the end of the day, let's just be honest, all of us have a need of our hearts to be transformed. That's why we need God with us. You need God with us for the Monday afternoons when you're ticked off about your lawnmower or when you're consumed about what you're going to buy for that gift, that person. Like it just, it, like it, the gossip that controls you and just wants to bleed out all the time. And again, I don't know what your struggle is, but you need, right? We need constantly, we are in need of redemption and we can't change ourselves. And that's why this is such a beautiful moment when we hear that refrain that it's God with us because God is going to come to do for us what we could never ever do by ourselves. We're sinners by nature, sinners by choice. Finally, a second Adam's coming who's going to redeem us, guys. That, that's just a beautiful place to rest. And maybe you're with me on Monday and maybe you just need to confess today. I need Emmanuel. I need God with me. Some of you are sitting here today and you're saying, Blake, dude, that's awesome. I'm with you. That's an awesome story, Matthew chapter 1. But Jesus isn't here, bro. So what's this mean for us? And so I, maybe I just want to share just a few things here as we look at the text. Just uh, of the hope, the fact that, that God is actually with us. How is God with us today? Right, again, you've got to understand Jesus' story, right? He comes, he's born of the virgin, he lives a sinless life, he goes to the cross, he's crucified, they bury him. On the third day, he what? He rises again. He's seen and believed upon. The book of Acts tells us for a period of 40 days. And then he ascends back to the right hand of the Father. He's seated there at the right hand of the Father. Ten days later, he pours out the Holy Spirit that now comes to indwell the people that we begin to get a glimpse of why Jesus says, it's for your good that I go away. Like, how could it be good that Jesus isn't, right? I mean, if you ever wondered, dude, if I could just walk with Jesus, that would just give me so much clarity. If I could just see him for a minute. And Jesus says, in fact, it's good that I won't be here. Why? He says, because now it won't just be Jesus along with you. It'll be Jesus inside of you through the Holy Spirit. 
It's a transforming moment. Listen, I'll throw a couple at you. Time's tight. So write down Romans 8 and 9. It talks about how the Spirit of God, Spirit of Christ dwells. You see on the screen. But I want to draw your attention just for a moment to 1 Corinthians 6, 19 to 20. Again, we're trying to answer this. If He is with us, then where is He? And we're going to see the fact is God is with us today through the Holy Spirit. Listen to what it says, verse 19 of 1 Corinthians 6. Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit? What? Within you. Whoa. Whoa. It's not the building. It's you. It's God in you. God with you. Whom you have from God, you are not your own. He says, for you were bought with a price, so glorify God in your body. This statement of glorifying God. Matthew, or, or Paul is writing there dealing with sexual immorality. I think it's interesting, right? He, he talks about our bodies and the f- call for self, self-control. And he says it comes by the power of the Holy Spirit and the, the fact that you've got to recognize who you are. Listen. Listen to this self-control that's exercised here by Joseph and Mary. Look back with me, Wood. Verse 24 and 25 of Matthew 1. It says, when Joseph wakes from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife. But look what it says here. He knew her not. It indicates they're not intimate, right? That word knowing indicates intimacy, right? Some translations get it a little more explicit there. But he says, but knew her not until she had given birth to a son. And he called his name Jesus. So again, Joseph and Mary, because of the betrothal period, have about a year long waiting to be intimate. And now something else happens. She's pregnant, not by some other dude, but by the Holy Spirit. And so now they're going to wait even longer, right? It says he knew her not until she had given birth. So now as he's waiting out the betrothal period, now Joseph, even though he's actually married and he can actually live with her, he's still not sleeping with her. I want to say this statement. Following Jesus means that you will have to deny yourself things you might otherwise enjoy. Following Jesus means that you will have to deny yourself things that you otherwise might enjoy. For some of you guys who are single, right, that means you're not able to sleep with just anybody you want to. It means that you don't shack up right before you're married, right? It just, some of these things, listen, they aren't easy and they don't, they, they, they conflict with our culture, but nonetheless, that's what we're called to do. And we see the example again of Mary and Joseph living it out right in front of our eyes. And we realize, listen, following Jesus means you've got to deny yourself things you wouldn't have to otherwise deny yourself. This isn't easy to follow Him. And so maybe we're just asking, closing today, how might God with us, how might it transform you? Maybe two things I throw at you. Number one is this. Because God is with me, I have peace. Emmanuel means that whatever battle you're facing today, listen, you're not alone. God's with you. He isn't like, okay, listen, you, you've done really well, Blake, but this mower one, you're on your own. Good luck with that, buddy. We'll see how that one works out when you face this temptation trial here. That's not it. Emmanuel means that God is actually with you. And by the Holy Spirit, those who have repented and believed on Christ, you are indwelt by the Holy Spirit. It's God in you. Think about this. This is awesome, right? I started writing the sermon before I even had looked at Sunday school. I'm sorry to my teachers, right? And so but I didn't see the fact that, guess what? Our lesson from the day, the class, and the class that we worked with with the boys and the girls downstairs um, was actually the same one, Daniel chapter 3. In Daniel chapter 3, verses 17 to 25, right, we have three Hebrew boys, Shadrach, who? Meshach and Abednego, right? And listen, these guys say, listen, we'd rather burn than bow. We'd rather burn than bow. And so these guys, listen, they are thrown into the fire. And King Nebuchadnezzar says, listen, we threw three guys in there, but how many did he see in the fire? Four. And he says, the fourth is like a son of the gods. It's like this unbelievable moment. And listen, the circumstances haven't changed. 
Circumstances for Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego are exactly the same. The fire is still burning. It hasn't gone out. But what makes the victory possible, listen, is this. It's the presence of a person. Emmanuel. God with us. In the midst of your trial, listen, your circumstances may not change. In fact, they may get worse. But I want you to know that you can have peace today because God is with you in the person of Jesus Christ. In Genesis chapter 39, you hear five times Joseph going through all these terrible moments. And listen, Joseph hasn't done anything wrong. And constantly the refrain the text is this, and God was with Joseph, and God was with Joseph, and God was with Joseph. Some of you just need to remember today, you can have peace because God is with you even when your circumstances aren't changing. Right? Second Timothy chapter 4, it's the last letter that Paul writes there in the New Testament. And in verse 16, he says this statement, the Lord was with me. And strengthen me. Paul is coming to the end. He feels alone. He's been betrayed by many. And yet the Lord, Emmanuel, is with him. And so I want you to know that no matter what trial you're facing, listen, Emmanuel will be with you until the very end. The secret of peace today is not a plan or a program in the church. It is a person. And his name is Jesus Christ. It's the only hope of peace for anyone. It's Emmanuel, God with us. So listen today, in the midst of your storm, you can have peace because God is with you. Secondly and last, because God is with me, I have power. Remember that statement, Emmanuel means what? God with us. Guess how Matthew finishes the very last chapter of Matthew is Matthew 28. Listen to what he says in the very last sentence of his writing. Teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. And behold, I am what? With you always to the end of the age. Today, listen, you can have peace knowing that God is with you, but you can also have power knowing that God is with you. The previous verse of Matthew 28, Jesus says, I have all authority in heaven and earth. It's been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples. Some of you, again, as young college age students or young adults, you're trying to figure out what you're going to do. We're challenging you to begin considering, praying. How might you begin to live your life in light of the gospel for God's kingdom? Maybe you would join a, a church plan here in North America, right? Or one amongst the nations. And listen, that doesn't mean you won't take a job. You may take a job in those cities where those things are, right? And, and listen, it, it may cost you. It may cost you. You don't get the best paying job. It may cost you to leave your family in Greensburg, KY. But I'm encouraging you today because of the power of God being with you. Listen, leverage your life for the kingdom of God. You may not have the best family pedigree, right? You may not be the most gifted or qualified, but today you can remember because God is with me, I have power. Listen, serving Christ isn't about convenience. Listen, some of you don't see any way that you could ever serve in the church. Your life is so busy, man. Monday through Sunday, you are running wide open, sun up to sundown, right? You don't have any way to say, I don't know how, Blake, I could ever serve and do this. But listen, serving and being a part of the church is not about convenience or my preference. It isn't convenient or, pre or preferable for Joseph and Mary to go through what they're going through. In fact, the text doesn't record the angel shows up to anyone else, not even a person in their family, right? The Jerusalem Record Herald doesn't post on the front page, Mary pregnant by Holy Spirit. Listen, they're experiencing this and they're going through inconveniences. And so I want to encourage you, listen, the Jesus who came for you and who died for you on the cross, He is worth your serving even when it's inconvenient even when you have other preferences. So listen, I want that to be compelling to you, the power, the fact that God is with you. Let that compel you to keep serving. Even when people don't encourage you or don't congratulate you or the people to whom you minister seems like they don't even care. 
Let the fact that God is with you, let that be your power. Let that be your strength. Serve through inconvenience and all of that because Jesus is with you. Today, as our musicians make their way, I want to compel you to confess the name of Jesus. Psalm 9 and 10 says, And those who know your name put their trust in you, O Lord. Listen, it says, They put their trust in you. For you, O Lord, have not forsaken those who seek you. Today, I compel you, put your trust in Emmanuel. He's the only one who can save you from your sins. You may be a polytheist as you came in today, believing there are many gods and many ways to heaven. But the Bible says that your sin separates you from a holy God and there's only one God that can save you and it's His name. It's Jesus, Emmanuel. Maybe today you came in and you were a pantheist. You believe that everything was God and God is everything and you might just be reincarnated or whatever it may be. I want to compel you today. The Bible says that you are creating the image of God. That you have so many days here, you will die and you will be judged and you will spend eternity in heaven or hell. But God in His love sent His Son, Emmanuel, for you to forgive you and cleanse you of all your sins. Some of you today, you believe in God, but maybe you'd say you're a monotheist and you don't recognize that Jesus is actually God. I want to compel you today by the miracles, by the virgin birth, by the testimony of the gospel through this fallen man that Jesus is actually God with us and He alone can save you. Today, would you confess the name, Emmanuel, confess the name of Jesus. Would you pray with me? Lord Jesus, thank you that you are Emmanuel. That you left heaven to come and live with us. You experienced trials and temptations, and yet you were sinless. Thank you for going to the cross, not for your own sin, but for my sin, for my outburst of anger on Monday. You had to die for that, God, my anger towards you over a stinking lawnmower. Father, we are all here wrecked. Spiritually, we are. And we're in rebellion against you. But yet in your love, you came for us. Today, with the love of God, the fact that God is with us, I pray it would compel people's heart to come and confess Jesus Christ as Lord. For the believer today, I pray they'll be encouraged and empowered to know that God is with them, that He's not left them, He's not forsaken them. And I pray just like Shadrach and Meshach and Abednego, they'll stay faithful to you in the fire. I pray this for the glory of the soon coming King Jesus. In His name we pray, Lord. Amen. This is Todd Young with Greensburg Baptist Church. Thank you for joining us today. If you've accepted Christ during today's podcast, we would love to hear from you and connect you with a home church in your area. Or if you have questions regarding a relationship with Christ, Brother Blake and I would love to speak with you. Please contact us at the church office at 270-932-4495 or connect with us through our website at greensburgbaptist.com. In addition, you may visit our website anytime to access the sermon videos and podcast of any recent sermon. You may also subscribe to our podcast in the iTunes store. Have a great day today.